What's up, everybody? <laughs> okay, I'm bad at Jason. Jason, I've been sitting here talking about doing this show all week. That is so funny. And I got integrated with Angela Erickson. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome. This is this is a great show because this is my favorite Marion Feast Day. In fact, I got my 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 Marion Feast Day music going. <laughs> I love it. A ti, Virgencita. Bienvenidos, señores y señores. A Shirley Tradman. Catolicismo tradicional. So as as always before we begin, we, we like to start in prayer and because today is the feast of the Blessed Lady of Guadalupe, where I'm going to uh, say the opening prayer in Spanish. We're going to do the Hail Mary, the Our Father, and the Glory Be. If you know the prayers, please uh, feel free to join along. If not, just listen to this beautiful language. I had this priest. His name was Father Juan Jose Garcia, and he told me that uh, Latin is the language the church speaks to her children, but Spanish is the language her children speaks to God. I don't know if that's true or not. It but, is beautiful, though. But I will tell you what uh, Pope St. Pius V once said, uh, and it, I, I know it, in, in, it translated into Spanish. It is, La cabeza de la iglesia católica es en Roma, pero la corazón de ella es en Andalusia, which means the head of the Catholic Church is in Rome, but her heart lies in the south of Spain. So, um, <laughs> yeah, very, very beautiful little thing. So we'll go ahead and, and say our opening prayers. In el nombre del Padre, y del Hijo, y del Espíritu Santo. Amen. Dios te salve, María, llena eres de gracia, el Señor es contigo. Bendita tú eres entre todas las mujeres, y bendito es el fruto de tu vientre, Jesús. Santa María, Madre de Dios, ruega por nosotros, pecadores, ahora en la hora de nuestro that's right. I, I feel you. Is that Veronica? Yeah, she Come on, girl. Come on, girl. She's uh, she's cutting her top teeth right now, so oh, she's no, not been baby. sleeping like during the day. Dios te so Padre nuestro que estás en el cielo, santificado sea tu nombre. Venga a nosotros tu reino. Hágase tu voluntad en la tierra como en el cielo. Danos hoy nuestro pan de cada día. Perdónos nuestras ofensas, como también nosotros perdonamos a los que nos ofenden. No nos dejes en caer en tentación. Se líbrenos del mal. Gloria al Padre, y al Hijo, y al Espíritu Santo, como era en principio, ahora y siempre, por los siglos de los siglos. Amén. En el nombre del Padre, y del Hijo, y del Espíritu Santo. Amén. Welcome to the show, everybody. Your Spanish is so good. Muy bien. Well, I grew up, so I grew up in South Texas. My father, and a lot of people don't know this about me. We have talked about a lot about my Irish-American heritage. My father is actually Chicano. Uh, his last name was Rodriguez. And... Uh, growing up in the 1970s, it was difficult for uh, him to find a job. He enlisted in the Marine Corps and was, what's up, Jace? Sorry, man. I Late to your own show. Oh, Shame on you. Well, you made Veronica cry. I'm, I'm trying to figure out a background <laughs> that I wanted, but then it didn't work. Let me see what y'all think real quick before we go. Um, so my dad was getting ready to enlist in the Marine Corps. Does that and, look all right? Oh, that looks beautiful. <laughs> or or does it block block our lady too much? Yeah, if you could get out of the way, that'd be Yeah, good. I'd rather look at her than you. Thank <laughs> you. <laughs> and so he was he's, he's enlisting in the Marine Corps, and he decides, I don't want to go to Vietnam as a Rodriguez because in his mind, he's like, if I had a whiter name, I'd probably survive. He's like, because if, if your name is um, Robertson, they'll, they'll, or if your name is Rodriguez, they'll be like, Rodriguez, take point. And if your name is Robertson, it'll be like Robertson, cover Rodriguez. He's taking point. Mm. So, <laughs> so he changed his name to Robertson. We're not really Robertsons. Um, wow. Interestingly enough. Yeah. So fake uh, Irish. Yeah. Well, no, Robertson's actually a Scottish name and it's a Scott. <laughs> it's the most Protestant Scottish Presbyterian name you can imagine. So all my Irish friends would dog me out growing up because I had this, this, uh, there we go. Oh, that's good. I had this yeah. Scottish Presbyterian uh, Ulster Scott name, and that just did not go over most <laughs> those people at all. But anyway, guys, hey. this is a great show. I'm so excited about this. This is my favorite Marian devotion. Out of oh, we're out. already live. Yeah, yeah, man. bro. <laughs> <laughs> For a minute, I didn't even look. Hey, For a minute. By, oh by boy. The, by the I'm way, a... Mark. Go oh. ahead, Angela. I have to jump off for like a second. I'm just gonna. Um... 
like and thanks for holding it down until my co-host showed up yeah no you're you. welcome no i have a kid that locked himself in a bedroom so Uh-oh. okay <laughs> good luck right back all right sounds good so um, sorry no i i've kind of anyway i'm sorry i was i didn't realize you'd already gone live but i didn't say anything about anybody watching right now yeah no kidding right um <laughs> but but why but why we are on air I wanted to give a public congratulations to Mark Robertson, who has become, has been named an elite attorney. Well, you know, we'll stop it. <laughs> <laughs> and while you may be an elite, an elite attorney, I am the world's best boss. I'll give you that. I'll give you that. And because um, he's, he's, he's the boss around here. I do what he says. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Jason, I want you to tell me from, because you come from a Protestant background, you came here from the Church of Christ, so I'm sure Our Lady of Guadalupe was a, was a very foreign thing, mm-hmm. probably when you first started going. What did what was your initial, when you first heard about this story, were you just like, come on, man, she appears on a Talmud, and on a Talmud or whatever it's called, the the, the cape that Juan Diego, St. Juan Diego yeah. was wearing, like, was that hard for you to believe, or did you find it just like incredible? So, <laughs> a white wolf Jason is proud of his humility. <laughs> um, actually, ironically enough, no, I didn't, and I will tell you why. Okay. Um, before my conversion, I didn't really think that much about it. Like I saw it, of course, around around town. I'd seen it on TV. I'd seen it among you know the the Latino community here in Houston. Never really gave it much thought because I didn't really consider it real or or anything worthy to concern myself with now during my conversion when i when i started looking at the different apparitions and like our lady of guadalupe i was already in the in the midst of opening myself up to possibilities i had never considered before instead of just writing them off so when i came across our lady of guadalupe no, I never really had those thoughts of, no, that's not real. It's not this. I mean, I gave it serious consideration. I just didn't look at it and just willy-nilly believe it because this is what, quote-unquote, Catholics believe. I mean, I gave it a fair shake, but there is, as we'll probably discuss later, there's there's too many things surrounding it that are unexplainable, and the only way you can explain them is the supernatural, which you know it, it indicates that God had his hand in it. Yeah, I, I mean, that was always the thing for me with the Guadalupe was just the story of the of the Tilma itself and the scientific research that has been done. Because there's actually been a significant amount of scientific research done on this artifact. And, you know, you, we're to the point now, I think, in our in our society where we can spot a fake scientifically pretty quickly. It, it doesn't take much time. Um, and. You get all you need is now you get one guy with an agenda who says, yeah, it's a fake. That's one thing you, it, but I mean, the scientific consensus pretty much, you know, finds that kind of stuff out pretty quickly. And yet still to this day, um, there is no scientific explanation outside of the miraculous that, um, that tells us exactly that, that explains away uh, our lady of Guadalupe. And I was looking to see the, um, oh, I'm sorry. I, well, I was going to get the, the 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 thing from the today's Roman martyrology that talks about um, the Guadalupe. Well, well, while you say that, I find it uh, the the most fascinating part. I find about some of the unexplainable uh, phenomenons around the Tilma and Our Lady Guadalupe is I, we briefly discussed it last night. When they when they zoom in on her eyes, beyond technology that they had at this time period, they are able to see, to see the reflection of the bishop, Juan Diego, and as if Our Lady is looking at them because she is looking at them. Mm-hmm. That is the craziest part. Yeah, is what's, 13 you, people in her eyes. Just that, <laughs> that many. I thought, see, I thought it was only Juan Diego. It was 13 people. 13 people. They could see every the imprint of every single person in that room. Yeah. I was wow. just listening to... There's a. I read this book. Have you? Have any of you read this? No. Um, no. Maria of Guadalupe, um, by Paul Bade. I'm guessing B A D D E. Mm-hmm. And it is. It's like a journalism. It's like he he's going in and investigating this, and he tells it almost like a story, but he goes through all of these different 
um, you know, how the fibers, they can't explain how the image is on the fibers because it's not painted, but it doesn't go all the way through the fabric. Like it's, it's just this beautiful, not even like an imprint. Like there's no way to describe almost this photographic photogenic type thing that was just sort of imprinted, but not really on the fabric. Yeah. They can't even explain it. And he goes through so many different things. But one thing he does not go through, and this is the first time I've ever heard of this. Um, today I was listening to, I think it was the Drew Mariani show on Relevant Radio. So every once in a while I'll tune in there. And they were talking about how there was a composer or mathematician who discovered a melody in the, um, the, the edges of her mantle and and within the cosmos that is is on the mantle Mm -hmm. and they were able to put it into like an actual song like it it was incredible they played that the music that is on the the edges of her mantle and it's just beautiful it's like an orchestra it's beautiful um, I, I think I, I think I faintly remember reading something about that, but I didn't remember those details because there are so many of those little details like that with uh, uh, that are attributed to Our Lady of Guadalupe, the Tilma itself, that it's hard to remember them off all off the top of your head. Just, you know, so without having is- them in front of you. But I, I was just going to add real quick, Mark, that, you yeah. know, what White Wolf says here about the really the Tilma shouldn't have lasted this long. It should have already been deteriorated. I mean, he's absolutely right from, Mm -hmm. from every account I've read from every expert. They said this, this article should already be completely deteriorated. It should not last this long. And yet here we are, it's hanging in a church or a cathedral in Mexico city. So this is from today's Roman martyrology, uh, the 1960 new calendar from the office of mountains. And I'll read it very quickly. In Mexico, on the hill of Tepeyac in the year 1531, the God-bearing Virgin Mary, as is piously handed down, appeared to the neophyte Juan Diego and gave him a command for Bishop Juan de Zumaraga, which she urgently repeated, that a church was to be constructed in her name at that location. The bishop, however, requested a sign. Then, while he was seeking the sacraments for his dying uncle, far from the place of the apparition, his loving mother favored the neophyte with a third vision assured him of his uncle's health and after he had gathered roses into his cloak that had blossomed that had blossomed out of season she ordered him to take them to the bishop the roses having spilled out of the sight of the bishop an image of mary impressed upon the cloak itself according to tradition appeared to those present in a wondrous manner at first kept in the bishop's chapel then transferred to a shrine constructed on the hill of tepeyac it was finally moved to a magnificent temple to which mexicans increasingly began to gather in droves for reasons of veneration and frequency of miracles. And therefore, as an ever-present defense, the Mexican bishops, to the applause of the whole people, chose the Blessed Virgin Mary of Guadalupe as the first patroness of the Mexican people, which was duly confirmed by the apostolic authority of His Holiness Benedict XIV. Leo XIII adorned the sacred image with a gold crown on Columbus Day in 1895 by the agency of the Archbishop of Mexico. And St. Pius the 10th declared the blessed Guadalupan Virgin as the patroness of all Latin America. So that's from the Roman martyrology for today. It's quite a story. Um, and, and I like how it brings up because it's, it's one of the lesser known, I think miracles of uh, our lady of Guadalupe is the fact that Juan Diego's uncle was, was severely ill and was healed by our lady. She mm-hmm. made If I remember right, she made in the fifth apparition, she made an appearance to his uncle and healed him. Hmm. Right. If I'm yeah. remembering that right. I think yeah. she did. I think she appeared to him while he was traveling, like while Juan Diego was on his way to the bishop. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, I mean, there she's, so many she's definitely, she's the patroness of, of all the Americas in fashion from Canada, all the way down to uh, the Southern tip of Argentina. That was and- the other thing that um, Drew actually brought up. He said that it is the geographical center of the americas like perfectly in the mm, middle yeah that's um, a good point it is isn't it mm-hmm. yeah isn't that it. so interesting yeah absolutely incredible i grew up uh right here in this neighborhood in in the woodland oak section of houston texas which is a predominantly um mexican and mexican-american neighborhood you just uh, doxed yourself yeah no do- yeah <laughs> come and get me if you want me <laughs> 
But uh, the uh, also home to Regina Chile Catholic Parish. Shout out to the FSSP. And um, so Our Lady of Guadalupe has always been a big deal for us here. Big deal for me growing up, and not just for the um, for the Mexican and Chicano community here in Houston, but for Catholics all over Texas. Um, she is a very very big deal, and I remember. Um, when I was in high school and I, 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 most of the, when I was going to high school, most of the white folks around here were not Catholics. They were mostly Protestants. And so um, Catholicism was seen as a, a Mexican phenomenon, more or less. There were a few of us Irish kids who were Catholic, but um, so a, a kid wore a t-shirt with uh, a, a lady of Guadalupe's image on it. And because the, I guess the Protestant teachers didn't know what that was or who that was, they thought it was a gang symbol. They threatened to make him, they had, they tried to make him uh, like, you know, turn the shirt inside out. He refused. Oh my goodness. Oh man, we jumped. We all jumped. We were like, oh hell no, absolutely not. Like we're going to, things, things are about to get gangy up in here. If you try and that, that, that absolutely <laughs> not, no way. Yeah. So uh, we did win that fight. His parents got involved in it. They threatened to sue the school. Every, you know, all that nonsense happened. <laughs> oh, look at Veronica. Is that, is that what inspires you to become a lawyer? <laughs> okay, so this <laughs> is was the first story. incident. <laughs> no, it wasn't. I didn't know that I even wanted to be a lawyer until very late in life. I went to law school because I was working a job and my boss passed me over for promotion and I got mad at him, so I quit. You need to go. And I went to law school. And I was like, that'll show him. <laughs> but see, God works in mysterious ways. Because let me tell you something, man. This is my vocation. I, Because I, 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 I discerned a vocation uh, to the priesthood when I was right out of high school. Yeah. And that didn't pan out. It wasn't my vocation. And I remember thinking, well... I guess God just kind of made me without a vocation. I guess I'm just one of these people doesn't have any purpose in this life. You know, I went yeah. through most of my life feeling like that. And then when I passed the bar, I started lawyering and I started uh, doing a lot of work in CPS court, uh, working as an advocate for abused children in the child care system and the, in the yeah. CPS uh, foster care system. And, it was hard work. It still is hard work. It's emotionally draining work, but it's very rewarding. And I, I love going to work every day. And yeah. um, let's see. Well, yeah, that's absolutely right. God, I can straight I crooked could, lines for sure. I could, I could still remember you and I didn't even really know you that well at the time. I don't even know if maybe we had talked once, but in that group chat of the nights at, at the parish, you had mentioned <laughs> you passed. I remember you passing the bar. Yeah. And uh, didn't even really know you, but I but I genuinely felt like happy for you. I was like, awesome. You know, because I know the I bar is, is not supposed to supposed to be that easy. Took me four tries. And they only give this test twice a year. So I got out of law school and I couldn't take the first the first one that was offered right out of law school because I had to move back to Texas. I went to law school in Iowa. So I had to move back to Texas. And um, so then I took the, the, the winter exam. Took it, felt good about it, got the results back, didn't pass. I To say I was devastated was putting it lightly. For three years, I went through this. And for three years, I prayed nothing but the Sorrowful Mysteries because that's what, that's what a very holy priest told me. He said, when you're going through a rough time, take refuge in the Sorrowful Mysteries of the Rosary. And I prayed the Sorrowful Mysteries every day for three years. And when I finally passed, first thing I did is I went to Regina Chaley and I I was alone there in the chapel and I sang the Te Deum as loud as I, I I'm glad they didn't call the police. On. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, what a great day that was. Let me tell you. Well, let me, let me ask Angela something. Um, and I don't know if y'all discussed it right before I hopped on. I know y'all were on a few minutes up in Minnesota, up in that, that part of the country. Mm-hmm. What's the take on our Lady of Guadalupe? Like, is it a popular devotion? Do you see much of it? Or is it kind of more of an obscure one because of where you live? You know, you'd probably be surprised to know that it's a very popular devotion here. We do have a lot of, like, Mexicans that live in this, you know, live up here in Minnesota. This is a common place for them to come to for work and stuff. 
Um, but I'd say it's actually really, really popular. Even um, in La Crosse, Wisconsin, you have Cardinal Burke's um, That's true. Uh, shrine down there and there's a whole huge um area it's beautiful um i was just thinking about that today because we we went there to the shrine in lacrosse the shrine of our lady of guadalupe i can actually remember when i was working for students for life and i was i was just fresh out of college i was driving all over the place uh, because i i coordinated like a four five state area basically and i was driving through wisconsin on my way home and I was on this obscure road kind of heading towards Winona from La Crosse. And I had no idea that the Shrine of Our Lady of Guadalupe was there. But all of a sudden, I saw this green little sign that said Shrine of Our Lady of Guadalupe this way. And I cranked the wheel. I, like, <laughs> I, I am so lucky I did not get into a car accident because I was like, what? And then I pulled in and it was like about 4.05 in the afternoon or something. And I saw people giving me looks, like weird looks. And I thought, man, these people are kind of stuffy here, you know? <laughs> and I, I got Those up there. Those are the people you had cut off on the yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. And I got in there and realized they had just closed. And so everyone there was wondering what on earth I was doing because oh, I, the idiot, was trying to go. So then finally, the next time, it was a couple of years later when I finally had the chance to go there during, no, it wasn't couple of years later it was me not that long after but i was like this time if i have to come back to lacrosse i am coming and stopping there at a time when they're actually open so i can look at this place and it's just beautiful so what yeah time I, was it? <laughs> I don't know what time it was during okay. the fall um but i don't know what time of day that i went there was but yeah i mean it, it's really powerful even with the um the like where they have all the stuff for the unborn is just so moving, especially um, like as a mom who obviously I've been doing pro-life work for a long time, but also as a mom who is, who has miscarried, it's just a very powerful place to, you know, to go and and sit with that. It's just really, and even the church there is just beautiful. I was, I was, is the patroness of the unborn, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. So so for the pro-life movement, Mm -hmm. She is a very powerful intercessor. And she, I know at, yeah. at our rosary that we pray at, uh, at the FSSP parish uh, before every mass, we do make a special intercession of our blessed, for our blessed lady of Guadalupe for the protection of human life from conception to natural death. And we do that every Sunday. And it's, it's just a really nice thing to see. I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah, you, you look at the, the slaughter of children that this country has had and all over the world through, through abortion. Right. It, but you look, you look back at this story, and you see how Our Lady, with the way the Aztecs were sacrificing yes. babies and even women, yep. she stopped it once, and it's like we know she can stop it again when, when, when she chooses, you know, when she chooses the time is right, of course. But uh, no, well, you see yeah. the magnitude of conversion there. I mean, yeah, you have you have these indigenous people who are used to murdering their children, sacrificing them, ripping the hearts out of people and offering those as sacrifices to their gods to try and appease them. And Our Lady converted over 9 million people in nine years or something. It's crazy. At the same time, the Protestant Reformation was ravaging Europe and what they lost like four or six million or something like that. She comes back and she's like, (laughs) I'm going to one up you here. I'm going to bring nine million into the church. Well, and this is another thing that's so crazy about the image. I was going back to the interview that I heard on the Drew Mariani show today. This gentleman that he was interviewing who, who has studied the Tilma for a long time and has done all this work. He said that there are, there were these um, Carmelite nuns that were up on Tepeyac Hill you know, in the church looking at the image of our lady and they saw her womb contracting like these, these car. And then other people have said things like they've seen the day that um, Mexico legalized abortion, her womb was glowing a doctor. I can't remember if it was just like a, um, an image that had been made as a reprint to go on tour and stuff, but a doctor held up her stethoscope to our lady's belly and heard a baby's heartbeat. Um, it was just crazy. The stories he was he was telling on air were, were just absolutely incredible about about things people have heard and seen with Our Lady. 
You know, she's Marcus, Marcus made... of the uh, she's the patroness of the fraternity seminary here in the United States, also. So I wanted, mm. to, I wanted to drop that also. So shout out to the priesthood fraternity of St. Peter. Shout out to Our Lady Guadalupe Seminary and all those young men who are uh, working towards uh, priesthood and those who are discerning a vocation. You guys are in our prayers for sure. You know, I was just gonna say, you know, Mark, you're always mentioning how everybody wants to see the appearance of an angel to them or wants to see an apparition and all that. But like with the angels, you know, the people are always scared and whatnot. The story Angela was just telling me kind of reminded me of that because, you know, seeing, seeing these, the the contraction and the glowing and what it meant, like that's not an enjoyable thing to witness, you know, especially not if it happened in, in, in the wake of your country legalizing abortion. Yeah, That's what I'm saying. It's not not an enjoyable time. Yeah, it's you, probably it, you probably see it, and because of that, knowing God is not pleased, it's probably very, very fearful. You know, it probably strikes a lot of fear in the people. I would assume because I, I would think it would do the same to me. So yeah, being being part of an apparition or or a uh, uh, an appearance of an angel and stuff, I, I I agree with you. I don't think it's what people always think it is. Now there, I mean, obviously, it seems like Juan Diego ultimately had a had a, uh, you know, a happy ending to his story. Right. But through that, and like, if you look at our, the, the children at Fatima and, and all that throughout that image, and even, even uh, St. Bernadette, they had a tough time through those apparitions because nobody believed them. People were wanting to jail them, wanting to shut them up, telling them they were just lying. And I mean, it, it was not a good time for, for these people, but thank God that, that these brave souls were able to, uh, persevere and and you know strengthen our faith through these apparitions and send our ladies message to us there's the, the the old saying is that there's there's two people that our that your local parish pre- priest never wants to see show up at the parish and that's the bishop and the blessed virgin mary <laughs> <laughs> you never want to see those but uh, i i did think it was interesting i did a little research on um the bishop in this narration uh, Bishop Juan de Zumarraga. Uh, he was uh, he was a Basque uh, Franciscan, born in Spain, and uh, he joined the Order of Friars Minor. Was eventually ordained and then um, consecrated a bishop. And he is uh, accredited as the person who uh, I don't know that he brought chocolate to Europe, but he made it popular amongst Europeans. I think I think chocolate came back probably amongst with the first um, Columbus expedition, but I don't. It wasn't particularly popular, but he made it popular, and chocolate became a European thing, uh, thanks to uh, Bishop Juan de Zumarraga, and he was also a um, a defender of the native inhabitants of the Americas, such that he was given the title Protector of the Indians by the Holy See. Um, and actually excommunicated many conquistadors who had been found guilty of abusing the native the native population. So he was um, he sounded like he was a very virtuous person. I do not know that there is any um, canonization cause for it. There might be. I haven't um, heard if there is. I haven't yeah. heard if there is or not. I was really looking to see if there was or not. But he sounded like he was somewhat of a virtuous person. Um, Did- so very interesting story in that sense, but. And it's also interesting, and this is kind of a twofold comment. It's kind of interesting that there are actually two Our Lady of Guadalupe's. There's one, you know, yeah. the one that we're talking about, and there's one in Spain where there was an apparition of Our Lady, and there, it, I don't know all the details, but there's like a black Madonna uh, that that was found or something like that. But I was reading this book, uh, The Wonders of Guadalupe, which I thought was an excellent book because it it, it starts out with the Aztecs, how, how they were sacrificing and how they were living very moral lives mm-hmm. gets into Juan Diego, his uncle and uh, the Bishop. And then it goes on to talk about the conversion and the miracles and whatnot. And then it goes on to then talk about the Tilma for a while. Um, yeah, that's, that's the, it right there. That's the yeah. other, uh, the other Guadalupe is Spain's best kept Catholic secret. So because, because Guadalupe, so in the book, they talk about Guadalupe is not in uh, of Aztec origin language wise. It's, it's Spanish, right? So how did they get the name Guadalupe? And there's several theories that float around, but it seems like the most accepted one is that, uh, 
the bishop and them being native Spanish speakers, there were, I can't, I'm not even going to try to pronounce the word. I can envision how they're kind of spelled in my head. These Aztec words there starts with the C and, it, and there's another one that starts with a Q. I'm not, I'm not going to pretend that I even know how to say it, but apparently they're pretty similar in sound. So when, when the Spanish heard this, they, they translated it as Guadalupe because they were already familiar with our lady of Guadalupe in Spain. So that's that, from my understanding, that's how we got the name Our Lady of Guadalupe, even though she appeared to the Aztecs and Guadalupe is not part of the the Aztec language. Uh, White Wolf, I don't know where the guys from Avoiding Babylon are. I mean, I think I think Anthony said he was having dinner with his mother. Mother. He was having dinner with his mother. Ma, ma. Ma, where are the meatballs? Ma, with the meatballs. And then uh, Come on, ma. last I heard, Rob said he was going to head in, but, you know, yeah. I don't know. I, I guess he uh, – yeah, yes, Father, uh, I think Rob right now, he's tending to his number one vocation. There you go. He's taking <laughs> so, care of business. I'll, yeah. I'll, 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 I'll let him do that. <laughs> yeah, we, we'll allow it this one time. That's right, just this once. So, right. burned, but anyway. You, bur I, you burned your favor, Rob, just so you know. <laughs> I, thought it, I thought it was interesting, though, how we got the name of Our Lady of Guadalupe. So, like, like I said, there are other theories floating around, but that seems to be the most accepted from, from what I've read, at least. Yeah, she's definitely my. I, in fact, I brought I brought my statue from from the back over there. I brought her up here so she's uh, visible and uh, and right here with me. So, well, what we will usually do with like we did with the Immaculate Conception and Our Lady of Guadalupe today, we'll take the statue that we have like today. We'll put mm -hmm. some candles up by her. Um, I didn't end up getting. I meant to go out and get flowers today, but but we'll do that and then we'll talk to the kids about. You know, like we did for the Immaculate Conception of last week, we'll explain to them what that is, and uh, we do the same thing with Our Lady of Guadalupe and Fatima nice. and, and all these special feasts. So we try to do something a little bit special on that day, have the candles burning all day long, and in honor that's of Our lovely. Lady. And yeah, yeah, so that's anyway, nice. that's not. I, I think it's nice to have to enshrine your Our Lady in your home as well. I mean, obviously, enshrine uh, the Sacred and Immaculate Hearts. Every every home um, should be consecrated to the Sacred and Immaculate Hearts. But to have a special place uh, for the Mother of God uh, where she's where her image is given um, due, due honor and reverence, I think that's so important, um, especially in a house. Your kids will grow up seeing that, and that will, you know, something about, something about the Marian devotions. Cause I can tell you my mother and my father were nominally Catholic. If that, all right. I think, I don't think my mother's not even nominally Catholic anymore. She's a band. This is, this the is the one time. Together. This is the one time I'm going to let white wolf correct me. because right. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. And, uh, but for some reason growing up, um, uh, something about the, the Marian stuff, just put the hook in me. And so I've carried that with me my whole life. And um, I, I can look back on all the times in my life where I was straying from the faith, not a practicing Catholic or not, even if I was practicing, not doing the things that I should be doing. And it's always been our lady who leads me back. And it always starts like those times where I spend like years away from the church where I don't go to church. I'm not practicing. I don't want anything to do with Catholicism. Like, and then I, I, I kind of like gradually come back. It always starts with, I'll pick up the rosary at some point and just start praying the rosary. Like the rosary always leads me back, always has my whole life. And so by the grace of God, I hope that I will never, Connor, come on, bro. You got the link. Come on, on, Connor. Come on, come on the show, big dog. Um, God was ruining all my fun. Yeah, <laughs> that was it was during those days, right? Where I was very immature, didn't quite understand, you know, because I was a kid, I was an idiot. And he got older and realized, yeah, everything God told me that I needed to be doing, he was right about everything. All those things that I thought were fun were actually incredibly dangerous. And, um, just just not something to do where is connor Sorry. i'm just laughing at jason he looked like he was half disappearing <laughs> no, I, was, I, was, I was trying to center myself on this he must decrease so she can increase yes exactly <laughs> um so so i noticed that since i've become catholic through the years and again like i said in the very beginning i never really gave it much thought um uh, 
But I know now I will see because you've got, of course, cultural Catholics, and then you have people that take our Guadalupe as just a cultural sign. They, there's really no devotion to her, and it's just a just a prideful sign, say, of their their culture or whatever. And mm-hmm. they put it on like very modest clothing, or they'll put it in in you know in, in places on clothes that that it doesn't belong and it just irks me to death now when i see that like you know like i said you'll see modest clothing or you'll see the pants where they where they have it on the on the rear and stuff like that and it just drives me up the wall oh my goodness i feel like i have a confession to make there was there were many years ago there we are was, we are not priests and we cannot <laughs> forgive you no i just i am thinking about this or, gi- or in, give you absolution I in say. light of of this oh my goodness there was a shirt that i had and it had like the divine mercy image jesus but on it it said jesus is my homeboy and i loved it <laughs> Because I thought it was funny, like like ironic, kind of, or like, yeah. but because it was distasteful, but I didn't think it was. I just thought it was like, yeah, he is my own boy. I love Jesus, and I want everyone to know. And now, oh my goodness, Lord, have mercy on me. I just well, that's a sign of of your spiritual maturity, right? I mean, as your faith yeah. grows, yeah. You, you start realizing God and jesus and our lady deserve more respect than sometimes we gave him when we were young. oh my goodness yeah you know? do you want to know what the funny like there was a funny thing from from earlier in my youth my first communion classes and i guess you're like in the second or third grade when you get your first communion classes something like that so it's a little little kid and i remember the the lady we and the lady who taught us did a great job she really did this was my deficiency she would say that when the priest says the words this really becomes the body of Christ. And I remember thinking that it becomes Jesus's dead body. This is, I mean, that, that was still very cool to me, but I remember thinking this essentially becomes a corpse Mm. and it was just about the language that used, right? So if I, if I came to you and I said, Angela, I went into the library and found the body. Like, what does that mean? That means I found a dead body. Right. But when you, uh, when you start getting into the theology of the resurrection and the, and the theology and hey man, I know I'm going to get crucified for this, but the theology of the body, you realize that Christ is fully present. He is, there is nowhere where Christ is more fully present than in his body. There's mm-hmm. my boy. Connor. Hey. There he is. I missed you dog. Where you been? I don't know. I was seriously wondering that today in our chat. I was like, where's Connor? <laughs> I haven't, I haven't seen you in here in a while. I was 17 yeah. years old before I realized that the Eucharist was Christ's resurrected body. <laughs> you said 17? 17 years old. Well, yeah, I, was, I, was, I had I lived was, 17 I was, years as a Catholic before I realized that, that, that the Eucharist was a living, was, was Christ's living body. I was 35 or 36, if it makes you feel any better. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, but you had an excuse. You you came for. I, I have no excuse. I have no excuse at all. I like man. I had good catechists when I because I, I grew up in the Novus Ordo Church for sure. And um, no, I disagree. Totally disagree with you on that. And we're gonna have a great show one day on theology of the body, and I will tell you why I think theology of the body is great. Anyway. <laughs> I had great catechists when I for, for for growing up at the time I grew up, and then the Archbishop Fiorenza was the boss back then, and he was mm, um, he just he just went to his eternal reward. God rest his soul. I was gonna say he just recently died. And uh, I could have I could have gotten some very bad catechesis, but for some reason I looked back and I was like, no, I had good catechists. I think the deficiency was in my my understanding for some reason, but yeah. Connor, how you been, brother? Yeah, Connor, how you doing? Can you hear me? Connor? Can, can you hear us, Connor? Sorry, my Wi-Fi is being weird. Oh, how you been, man? I haven't talked to you in a hot minute. Uh, Good, just uh, tired. I, I had something distracting me for a couple days, and I'm back at it now. Awesome. Everything yeah. good? Anything yeah, everything's you want to, good. Anything you want to share? Share with the group. <laughs> let's uh, talk about it not right now but uh mark give him your low deep voice is very comforting stop it oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. 
So, so Connor. Okay, Kool Aid Man. You, you oh my gosh. In, you tuned into the Quiet Storm. Mark and Jason and Angela are going to be keeping you company all night right here on Trap. Anyway. So, Connor. Oh, dear. Question for you, Our Lady of Guadalupe. Would it, would you have anything um, about it that you particularly have a devotion to or that you like? Or is it something that, that, um, I guess isn't in your wheelhouse. Uh, so the thing that attracts me most to, uh, you know, to the devotion of to, uh, devotion to our lady of Guadalupe and just fascination with her comes more. So um, the, the, um, the roses that were found on the mountain, uh, the Castilian roses uh, have a great um i have a great fascination with that and it's just so beautiful um and uh just how fast uh conversions happened based on the uh based on the apparitions of our lady of guadalupe and how sort of the the millions of souls that uh were lost because of protestantism and then millions were gained in Mexico by Our Lady of Guadalupe. So, what about the 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 roses really fascinates you about them? It's sort of bringing the old world into the new world, and, and that's kind of what I see Our Lady of Guadalupe as symbolically bringing the you know the old religion to the new world, and uh, really uh, giving us the tools to evangelize those who live on in North America and South America. Are there any relics of those roses that survived to, to your knowledge to this day? I, I don't know. I don't know either, but I, I'm, I'm, I'd be see, and I've always wanted to go to Mexico city to go visit the, uh, the Guadalupana, but uh, same here. It's well, not it's, always, but recently it's recent. so dangerous to go down South these days. And I mean, I think back to the time when I, when I was a teenager, we would literally walk into an, into Nuevo Laredo, party all night, walk back. Like, I'm surprised. Like, I wouldn't even, I, I don't even know if I'd go to Laredo, like the U.S. side of the border town now. Like, you would mm -hmm. get kidnapped. And when I've murdered. been in, when I've been in Eagle Pass for work years ago, it was a little, a little nervous because Laredo's right on the other side. And you know, everything is hat. You know, that, that, of course, the border is not a safe place for the right. most part. But, uh, but back, yeah, you're right. Back in the day when we were growing up in the nineties, well, yeah, you were, you were nineties. You're, you're about 44, you said. Yeah. So you were nineties as well. Yeah. Like, yeah and 44 in a few days. A lot of South uh, Texas country singers, they have songs about going to Mexico for the night and, you know, uh, partying and coming back. So yeah, it, it was definitely a different world in, in that regard. You could go back and forth, but I talked to a coworker, who is from Mexico city. And yeah, he, I mentioned how I wanted to go to see the shrine. I think it was last year. And he was like, of course he was like, no, don't go by yourself. He goes, it's, it's not say it's safe as it used to be. He said, either go with somebody, you know, like him or go with a tour. Group. But, but I would now, like, I would like to do it one day. Yeah. The federal district, which is where Mexico city is from what I understand is relatively safe. Uh, where you don't want to go are the borders, uh, the states of Sinaloa, Michoacan, Sonora, Zacatecas, Tamaulipas. Okay, so basically all the other Mexican states are. <laughs> well, well, well. From what I understand, though, Mexico City is not necessarily cartel danger that you're necessarily in danger of. It's just just a high crime area is, is what he was telling me. Now, I don't know. I haven't looked at the statistics to really know that, but well, see Mexico city, see Mexico is a really interesting country because a lot of people think Mexico is a poor country. Mexico is not a poor country. Problem with Mexico is all the wealth, all the wealth is concentrated in like 2% of the population and everybody else um, yeah. can basically eat rats forever for all they care. Mm. And what, and it didn't always used to be like that. What happened is the Provisional uh, Revolutionary Party, the PRI, the party that started the, the party that started the persecutions during the Cristero War, maintained their power for seventy years, mm -hmm. and they would manipulate elections. They would cheat during elections and things like that. And so, what happened is anybody who wanted to run against them basically just didn't try. 
people felt like they had no real stake in their society, so they quit participating in their society. Uh, the, the newspapers couldn't be trusted. Stop me if any of this sounds familiar, like it happens in some other country you might know. Um, and then so what happened is all, all of the wealth and all the power and all the influence began to be concentrated more and more in this tiny minority of people and everybody else, you know, basically just lives on dust and they treat their citizens like they're cattle and you can't own property and you can't write a newspaper. You can't speak out. And, and of course it's all done for your protection because we have to protect you from misinformation. I mean, yeah, we're headed. <laughs> trust me, by the time they build that wall, we're going to be the ones going over it. <laughs> That's the strategy. <laughs> the long game. <laughs> yeah. We don't want to build the wall yet. We want to build the wall once people want to leave America. There you go. It's and well, the they... American spirit is to be contrarian. So a lot of people will think that they're showing somebody, you know? Yeah, they always say if you want to know where whether the wall is there to keep people out or keep people in, just look at what direction the barbed wire is pointed. Mm. <laughs> And I, 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 and I, I thought about that when I went to uh, uh, a, uh, a Holocaust museum and saw the barbed wire fences and they all point inward. And I was like, hmm, yeah, there you and, go. And, you know, I, I was just I was just reading this because um, just reminded myself of a few things about the Our Lady of Guadalupe as well is the fact that, you know, she she smashes a serpent's head. And ironically enough, what was the image of the Aztec God. What was he represented as? As the, as the head of a serpent? As a serpent. No yeah. kidding. Yeah. White Wolf, you be careful out there, brother. I just came back a few months ago, White Wolf. Jason, we, what do you, we what were do, you, worried what about do, you do for a living? And come clean, man. I mean, you're in Eagle Pass. You're in Mexico. I never see, mm -hmm. I see, I don't see you for days on end. I'll just tell you this. If I tell you, you being a good lawyer, an elite lawyer is not going to say. Okay, anything. good. We'll, we'll talk. <laughs> <off>. <laughs> oh man. I guess Rob just gave up on us. I, I think he's. I well, think I'm he's... thinking I might have to jump off again, but like this time for good. Cause I can hear my kids melting down and I'm going to help Lars get them. Uh, off we're at, we're at 48 minutes. So we'll probably be closing it down here pretty soon too. But I just wanted to say how great it was to have you guys on on my favorite married feast day. And I hope our lady of Guadalupe brings you all the blessings that our Lord Jesus Christ has won for us on the cross and that you guys have a wonderful, wonderful evening. So Angela, God bless you. If you got to go, I get it. Um, thank you for yeah. coming on. I really appreciate thank it. Thank you, Angela. Yeah. You guys have a good night. Absolutely. Oh, Jace, I got to go to Mexico city, man. I got to do it. Well, let's, let's, you've got a, you've got a partner right there. Dude, Hopefully let's go. Yeah, I want to do let, let let come with me, man. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do a show live from uh Can that from, be a tax write-off? All the expenses? Uh no, because we're not really a business, <laughs> but um we're gonna do a show live from Sinaloa from uh El Chapo's compound. Um we won't have a choice because we'll be imprisoned there, but essentially we're gonna do the show from there, right? And that'll that would be our live show. Yeah. Yeah. We yeah, can do why that. Not? Why yeah. not? We can do that. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Tradman. Jason and I are about to be shot, and we just wanted to let you know that. <laughs> uh, I believe in Illinois, there's a, the National Shrine of Our Lady of Guadalupe. And where? Illinois? Yeah. And yeah, yeah. That was, uh, yeah. They were, uh, Angela was just talking about that, I think. Was that, yeah. is that Wisconsin or Illinois? No, it's Illinois. I think I, I need to go to it at some point. Yeah, because she was talking about the one in Lacrosse, Lacrosse, right, Wisconsin. Um, Isn't that, that a different one? Yeah, that, that's what I'm asking. So you're talking about a different one, right? Yeah, I think there's one in. Uh, um, yeah, I think there's one in Wisconsin, but I thought there was one in Illinois. I could be wrong. Maybe I'm thinking of a different Marian apparition, but I thought uh, there was one in Illinois. But Connor, you're out in Libertyville, Cook, or somewhere out in that area, correct? I'm hiding somewhere. Okay. Have you ever been to the Militia Immaculata headquarters? No. Okay. It's in it's in Libertyville. Yeah. It's and it is 
really beautiful. They have perpetual adoration at that chapel, and it is a gorgeous chapel. And is it's it the Franciscans? By, yeah, the conventional yeah. Franciscans who run that 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 deal. And um, I was consecrated to I consecrated myself to Our Lady at 16 years old through the Knights of the Immaculata traditional observance. And um, it was one of the greatest things I've ever done. Because, like I said, even though there have been times, even after that, where um, I strayed from the faith, strayed from the path, I I can't help but feel like that consecration is is was is the thing that like kept bringing me back. Like Our Lady was always saying, "No, you belong to me. I ain't gonna let you go down this path." You, I've let you go down there long enough, and now, now I'm going to bring you back. And yeah. I'm just incredibly grateful for that. And by the grace of God, I'll never stray again, I hope. Um, but I'm, I'm just so eternally grateful for that, consecra- that act of consecration. If you have, have, you guys, have you guys done an act of consecration to our lady? No. Okay. I would highly recommend There's a bunch of different ways to do it. St. Louis de Montfort's, I think, is probably the most popular. I actually have the book. So yeah. I, I need to do it. So. St. Louis de Montfort's is popular. And the, the one through the Knights of the Immaculata is the one that I did. It was an eight, uh, it was an eight day preparation and then an act of consecration and you renew it every year. And I haven't renewed it since I came back to the faith years ago and I need to do that. And, um, excuse. excuse me. Um, so if you haven't consecrated yourself to our lady and you've thought about doing it, Pick a Marian feast day um, or, you know, some other type of special day, a special uh, uh, an anniversary of some sort, your favorite saints day or something like that. Feast of St. Maximilian Colby's feast of St. Louis de Montfort. And just, uh, just play, just think about it. Cause I, I, I can't say enough good things about that. Let me, let me ask you, you both a question. And, and by the way, I was going to show a picture of, like so, I mentioned the the Aztec god was so it says that his name indicates he's a feathered serpent, and I don't know if well I guess you can't, I can't I, you, you can't see it with the background. But anyway, my question to you is, and and this is again something I never really considered until I became Catholic was um, so the Aztecs, you know, were were deep in in. Um, evil right with all their human sacrifices baby sacrifices and we see other aspects of that throughout history among other groups of people you know of course you had the irish (laughs) yeah the irish you had pre-christian europe was just a hellhole it really was yeah yeah you have of course you have the nazis in more recent times uh with with the holocaust and the soviets and north korea and all that yeah the chinese my question is 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 with these like, like in the Aztecs example in particular, do you think people are capable of that level of evil without demonic influence? And what I mean is a lot of times, you know, people just think, well, these people were just doing wicked things and, and were just evil. But then now when you look at these Aztec gods, for instance, the sacrifice they required of Molech, what he required, the argument is made, and I think rightfully so, that these weren't just fake false gods they made up. These were de- these were demonic, uh, I guess, beings pretending to be gods and and cause the people to, to to commit these grave evils. Do you think that people are capable of these levels of grave evil without some type of demonic influence? No. Well, I mean, it might it might be the case, but I definitely think in those situations that you're talking about, the demonic was was in play and was in full force. So. It might be the case that people can do, I mean, because I think people can do pretty wicked things. Yeah. But they're like, our, we know from, we know from the catechism that our nature is good. We're created to, our, we're created in a good nature, but our nature is fallen. And so thus it has an unnatural attraction to evil and is susceptible to evil influences. I know that when we pray, the, the prayer that our Lord gave us, uh, in the in the in both the Hebrew and the Aramaic, it's not really known. It's disputed among scholars whether he gave the prayer in Aramaic or Hebrew. Could have done both, but in both languages, it equals out to be about the same. And the in the end paragraph where he says, um, "And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil." That's a personalized evil. It actually is a more accurate translation to say, "Deliver us from the evil one." Yeah, I've heard that. Yeah, yeah, and so uh, the the 
it's a personalized evil. And so evil is not just some sort of condition that exists out there that there's good things to do and there's not so good things to do. Evil is personified. And I do think that in those examples that we were given of the genocides and the, if you go back and you listen to um, perpetrators of the Rwandan genocide and you, t- and because there are a lot of them are still alive, they're in prison and do whatever. And so why did you do it? And they will tell you, I just felt something come over me. I can't even explain it. I don't hate the Tootsie. I don't even know what I, why I did that. I felt something I, I like I wasn't even in control of myself. Person after person, perpetrator after perpetrator will tell you that. That's interesting to me. Yeah. That's interesting to me. So yeah, I I do think that that the demonic is in play. Yeah. yeah. I would say that people that followers can always do very evil things. Uh, even without necessarily demonic forces being in control or something, but mm-hmm. the people at the head of s- such things most likely have demonic, uh, uh, been influenced by the demonic forces. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree yeah, with for you. sure. And I, I just think it's you know that the leaders, the leaders of all these regimes we're talking about, they grow up, they're pretty average people, but for some reason they get up on the stage and they're wearing that uniform and now they're just instantly charismatic. Yeah, that's, that's, that's uh, Satan, that's Satan right there. I mean, well, and you know, the, the rewriting of history since the enlightenment period, especially, and I'm, I'm going to focus on that in particular, really, um, really irks me in some in a lot of ways but in this sense right now is is the fact that like the catholic church was always against the mistreatment of the indigenous people back back during this time when they were exploring the americas right they i mean i mean you have letters from the popes and stuff like that writing about you need to treat the people humanely now of course there were bad actors within that nobody's going to deny that but you you have commands from the king as well yeah. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. Not, and not just the Pope. Yeah. So the thing that, you know, you're absolutely right. Uh, 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 what was her name in Spain? Um, Isabella. Isabella, Isab- the yeah, Isabella and, and Ferdinand, right? And so, Charles, their uh, grandson. Yeah. So the, the thing that really bothers me is, is when people try to act like the Catholic Church was just some evil in the world that was coming over here and destroying a peaceful people. Now there were peaceful tribes over here. Don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not saying that by any means, but the only way that the Aztecs were overthrown was because of the alliances that the Spanish had, right? Because they would have been too far outnumbered for one. And sometimes I look at it and this may be controversial, but sometimes I look at it as that God had had enough of the sacrifice, the human sacrifices and the, the, the way that life was viewed over here to let it continue on. And he used the Catholic church. And in this instance, our lady of Guadalupe to convert people to the truth in a way from these demonic forces of the Aztec gods. And, and, and at the end of the day, I would argue that, that all the peoples of the Americas are, are way better off than they would have been if those religions would have been allowed to continue. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, you know, and, and who knows what the mind of God is or why he allows or doesn't allow certain things, but it certainly seemed to me that um, the, 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 the mission, the, the conquista was, was too successful to be an accident. Um, And, and so, uh, there, there are still many Spaniards to this day. And I think back to my favorite priest, one of my favorite priests, Father Juan Jose Garcia, who, who still calls this hemisphere, the new world. And, uh, I don't know, something very poetic about that. Oh, before I forget, I promised my boy, Vinny, I'd wish him a happy birthday. Vincenzo, you know who you are. All right, Vinny. He, he told me not to use his full name. Happy birthday, Vinny. Um, is our former our former grand knight and uh Jason, oh that Vinny. Jason, yeah Vinny, did, Vinny. did you know he looks like my dad quite a bit did i ever really that? yes no, like like 
one time when we first started going to Regina Chaley, my children saw him from a distance and at first thought that was their grandpa. Like, no, that's not your grandpa. <laughs> like same build, same build. The you know, face really? is very similar. Yeah, like it's crazy. I gotta meet this guy now. Um, Anyway, but yeah. I know I know I got off topic there. I apologize. No, no, it's fine. But yeah, mm-hmm. I, I'm just gonna say in the comments here that uh yeah, I just I disagree with White Wolf's take on the, the Holocaust and Germany and and uh, and all that over here. So <laughs> Yeah, I, I you know I, I I listen, man, I appreciate you tuning into the podcast and, and your comments are welcome but they do not always represent the views of the host and that's important <laughs> yeah. to know that. um, I, and uh i want to do a show on theology of the body so that at least i'd like to present my defense yeah and and you know the i understand it's controversial whatever but i'd like to present my defense i think the bigger question is do we need a theology of the body i would argue yes because the world has a theology of the body and spoiler alert, it sucks. Okay. So, <laughs> um, and so anyway, um, but yeah, anyway, we were going to do that at some point. Um, yeah. Yeah. At some, at some point. Yeah. Cause like I've mentioned before, the parts that I've read about it were very inspiring and, and instrumental in my conversion. So I definitely want to delve into it, to it deeper. So that'll, that'll be an interesting topic, but. Um, um, we got also another show we're going to do, I think on Wednesday of this week, and I think it's going to be another live stream. Um, and okay. What, let's see. What's it? Almost my hot take today. My almost hot take today. Okay. I'm sure I, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what to say about that. I, I just, Haley, are you a fan or not a fan? I, you I'm know what? You, you know what's ironic is White Wolf says I've been indoctrinated by Hollywood propaganda. I don't even watch that much TV or or movies. No, I don't. Um, <laughs> I don't either. They haven't put any good thing good in a while. What uh, are we? Do, what are we doing Wednesday? Okay, so Wednesday at seven p.m. I'm going to be hosting a live stream, and I don't know. I mean, are you allowed right. to say right now? Yeah. Because I'm trying to remember. Am I drawing a blank? Well, if you'll let me tell you, you'll sorry, know. I'm I'm pulling an Anthony. I'm sorry. <laughs> Forget about it. Forget about um, it. Yeah, I I do I do too. I yeah, I'm a big too, fan, Haley. Uh, Haley, and I I know it. For some reason, it's it's controversial, but I would like to present my defense if I could. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Wednesday. I know there's a lot of folks out there. The holidays are coming up. Uh, Christmas is a holiday centered around family. It's built into the holiday itself. We have the Holy Family as literally the symbol of the feast of of our Lord's nativity. And it's traditionally a time when families get together and share in, in, in the joy of this season. For some of us, that is easier said than done. Some of us have families that for whatever reason, we're just not able to connect with. We don't get along. There's been a falling out. Some of us come from a fam from a family where there is a history of abuse, and so it's not as easy as just said, "Well, let's get together for Christmas and things like that." And I think there's probably many people who feel alone at this time of the year. They might feel sad. They don't feel like this is really a holiday for them. And I'd like to talk about that subject a little bit and talk about some things and some strategies and some ways of looking at the, at this holy season for those people who have an estranged family relationship. Um, and, you know, what, what, what do we do? What do we do going forward? I mean, we, we, we can, we might love our families and they don't love us back. They may love us, but we're mad at them. And there's a lot of different ways that this can break down. We're going to talk about that. I think on Wednesday at seven o'clock, um, hopefully, uh, our good friend, uh, our good supporter of the show, Hope Blyton, uh, who is an auxiliary over at Avoiding Babylon. This is this is Rob's <laughs> wife. Uh, has uh, will come on the show and talk with us a little bit, and um, I'll share some of my stories. And you guys are going to be welcome in the comments section for sure. Anybody wants to? I mean, Jason Connor, if you guys want to jump on, you can. Yeah, I may. I, I don't. I won't have much to add. Maybe just questions, but yeah, maybe yeah. maybe I'll, yeah. I'll be able to make it. And I think it'll be. I think it'll be an edifying show. 
Um, and you know, this is not, this isn't an opportunity to explain to you why everybody in my family is bad and I'm good. It's not, it's not quite like that. I understand that these, these things are complicated and, you know, because of our fallen nature, family is complicated and all, you know, everything in our whole dang lives is complicated because of the fall. But, uh, the good news is, is we have been redeemed. We look to the resurrection, uh, and the life of the world to come. And so, well, it'll be an interesting conversation. We'll talk about that. And we'll go forward from there. Um, guys, any any other parting thoughts? Well, I, I was just going to say, yeah, we got other things in the works as well. Um, hopefully, we'll we'll be able to put them out soon. But, uh, yeah, Connor, if you have anything, go ahead and promote anything nothing you may really have. Nothing really add, nothing to advertise. I just Apparently, Wife Wolf thinks like an Eastern Catholic for some reason. Uh, he thinks the epiphany is more important than the nativity, uh, which is really kind of interesting. That's a very Eastern thought process. Um, Connor, I, I'd like to do a show with you about No Country for Old Men. Have you ever seen he's, that he's, he's like, no. oh, no. <laughs> no, I'm uh, what year did that movie come out? That came out 2000. I don't know if I've seen that. A 2009. Who, who's in it? Who's in it? Javier Bardem, Josh Brolin. No, I've never um, seen it. Yeah, I've never seen it. I've never seen it. I've, Tommy Lee Jones. It was oh, 2008. Man. I'd be like nine. So no Country for Old Men is my favorite Western. Ah, uh, the plot structures, but but it's a it's a twist on the Western. You're wrong because Lonesome Dove and or Tombstone. No, 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 no. no. This, yeah. this, well, don't this spoil is, it for me. I'm not going to spoil it. I'm gonna it's a Coen Brothers again. film. It's a Coen Brothers film. Okay? I don't really know anything about them. It won either. several Academy Awards. It won <laughs> Best Picture. Uh, I want you to watch that movie, and then I'd like to do a plot lines on it because there are a lot of themes in that film that I would like to explore. And I think you as a... <laughs> yes, I do consider it a Western. Yes, I do. And there are a lot of themes in that film that at first glance probably do not appear to be very Catholic, but I would say speak a lot about the world in, in wake of the fall that I think would be interesting to talk about. But anyway, it's a great movie. Go watch it. And then we'll, we'll do a show on it. Um, Serious, sir. <laughs> <laughs> you'll do it and you'll do as you're told. Um, mm -hmm. I want to appreciate you. I really appreciate you coming on Connor. It's good to see yeah. you. No problem. And, yeah. uh, Everybody, thank you for joining us. I hope you all have a blessed feast of Our Lady of Guadalupe, and uh, we'll we'll be we'll talk to you before the feast of the Nativity for sure. So stick with us. Have a blessed Advent. Keep up with your sacrifices, and uh, remember, life is hard, but it's harder when you don't pray the Rosary, guys. We'll check in with you all next time. God bless everyone. God bless. God bless. <laughs>